grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and from the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for the chance to share your message. I pray that it is your message. I pray that you speak during this time. I submit myself to you and your Holy Spirit, that you would speak to me, but also, Lord, that you would speak through me. And I pray that everybody be willing to do the same, to listen to you, Lord. We thank you and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. That's called a cold open. It has nothing to do with the sermon, but, you know, got you going, all right? Special welcome to those of you joining online. It is great to have you. If you are watching just the sermon segment on YouTube, today's text will be Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 19. In fact, here in the room, it would probably be wise to take the Bible out and have that open. Uh, Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 19. If you have a hard time finding Colossians, uh, the little uh, thing that I always use was good Egyptians pray in Cairo. It goes Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Sometimes you'll hear General Electric Power Company. Somebody else said something like, go eat popcorn. I don't know. But that's how you remember those, um, all these fun things. So Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 19. I'm going to go ahead and read this for us, just so we have it fresh in our minds. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled with him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us our, all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reasons by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together by his joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Now, we have been going through this book, Colossians, for the past couple of weeks. If you missed those messages, I would encourage you to go back. They're available on our website to check those out. Um, but it's important to remember the context of what we're looking at here. This is an epistle, which is essentially a letter written to a church or an individual. Uh, the vast majority of the New Testament is comprised with epistles. Uh, this particular one is to Colossae. It was written by, by Paul, kind of probably with some Timothy help. Uh, as Paul probably dictated, Timothy transcribed it. It was sent to Colossae, which is a, a small town in the region of Greece. 
and, uh, and it really spoke to them. It, it was dealing with a number of heresies, a number of issues that had risen up within this brand new young Christian church in this fairly insignificant town when it comes to the grand scheme of things. Now, when it comes to the epistles, I think it's important for us to remember, whenever you're looking at an epistle, that this letter was not written to you. We believe it to be holy and inspired by God. We believe that it, it is a living, breathing thing that can apply to us in our modern age. But you also have to look within the context of who was receiving this letter, right? Uh, Paul wasn't writing this letter like, Haha, Houston, 2020, they're going to, 2022, they're going to get this one for sure. Like, no, he was thinking about, uh, about this, this church, this small church in Greece. Right? And so what happens is we have to somehow interpret, okay, what applies to us, what doesn't. Because like, here's a good example. At one point in a different book, Paul tells Timothy to mix a little bit of wine in with his water. Probably because he's dealing with some sort of digestive issue. I could take that as literal and I could take my water and put a little Merlot in this and it'd, it'd be a lot better of a sermon. I'll tell you that right now. But we look at that and we say that's probably a, a context thing. It's probably something that was meant specifically for the recipient of this. So just kind of keep that in mind whenever you're looking at an epistle, uh, the context of who was receiving this. So with that said, let's dive right into this, right? Um, Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 19. Right off the bat, we see three metaphors, and you probably missed them, to be quite honest. You probably missed the metaphors that are there because they've almost become cliché in our modern language, in our modern um, vernacular, our, our slang. And it is this, rooted, built up, and established. Those are actually metaphors. Rooted, okay, yeah, I get it. Um, that's something that, that for me lately, I've been doing a lot of research into to plants and trees. There's a, a much more comprehensive uh, sermon coming later because there's a lot that we can learn when we look at, at plant life and the church and when it comes to growth. But for this particular thing, you know, it, we, we start to, to look at trees, we look at the idea of roots. I think sometimes we overlook trees. Um, see, for me, when I'm driving down from, from my house here to Christ Memorial, I come down the tollway, and as I'm making that exit, that very tall ramp onto I-10, I look out over the memorial area, and there are just trees as far as the eye can see, right? And it's beautiful. But I think sometimes we, we just kind of ignore them or even see them as a nuisance. Oh, I gotta rake the leaves again. But when you really examine what's going on in a tree and what's happening there, uh, it really is an, an incredible bit of God's creation. But when you look at those roots, because there are really only three parts to a, every single tree. There's roots, there's a trunk, and then there's foliage and leaves up at the top. What the roots do, they have a, a threefold purpose. They're at the bottom of the tree. The, their three purposes are they nourish, they provide stability, and they provide connection. Nourish is, is obvious. If you've had plants, if, you, if you've grown anything, you know you don't like pour the water on the leaves. At least I hope you know that. Don't like sprinkle your fertilizer on the top of the plant. You pour it in the soil, right? Because that's where the roots absorb the nutrients. They absorb the minerals. They then pass it up through the trunk, through uh, essentially a vascular system that exists just below the bark, up to those leaves so that it can interact with the sunlight through photosynthesis and provide the plant what it needs. So those roots exist for nourishment. For us as Christians, as we look at the, this walk in Christ, right? Because that's what his metaphors are pointing towards. The nourishment that we receive in Christ is through study, reading God's word, reading scripture. It's through prayer, taking time to be with God, to meditate alongside God, to get to know God more, right? And through the gospel, 
We receive that nourishment that we absorb and we process, and it becomes life-giving for us. The second thing that, that roots do is they provide stability. Right? You picture a tree with its big canopy. Well, underneath the ground is a massive root system, and that's necessary because as wind comes along with this big canopy up in the sky, which it needs to absorb all that light, right? As it's up in the, the air, as the wind comes along, it's going to topple if it doesn't have a strong root system. Those roots go down deep into the ground, and they interact with rocks. They interact with soil. They interact sometimes with other roots of other trees, and they provide stability, a, a sort of organic anchor underneath that tree. For us, we are anchored in the gospel. We are anchored in Christ. There are so many things that will happen to us. Wind will come that will encounter the storms of this life. Some of you may be going through them right now, feeling the wind upon you, feeling the, the flood water rising up around you. And if you aren't anchored in something that is unchanging, if you aren't anchored in the hope of the gospel, it can get, you can get swept away so very quickly. And then the last one, perhaps you didn't know this, um, the roots also provide a sense of connection. In fact, scientists didn't even know this until fairly recently. There was a book uh, called The Hidden Life of Trees by Peter Wollobin. And what he found as he did research is if you go into a forest where there are multiple trees, their roots will sometimes intertwine, right? And those roots they discovered are literally talking with each other. They're sending signals within those roots, sometimes through, through fungus that's there in between, and, and they're literally communicating to the point where they've observed that there are some trees in Africa where when giraffes start eating on one end of the forest, the tree will begin emitting this, this foul-tasting chemical, and they find that the entire forest begins to do that because basically the first one said, hey, guys, there's a giraffe. You better do the thing. And then they all do the thing because they have been communicated to. It's the same process as the human brain. So when you're in the forest and you see all these individual trees, recognize perhaps they are talking right underneath your feet. Now, this is the connection that we as Christians have. We are rooted in our faith. We are rooted in Christ. We are connected as Christians. At least we should be. Unfortunately, a lot of times we've cut off those roots and said, no, 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 those guys don't talk exactly like me. Those guys don't believe exactly like me, and we isolate ourselves. But we should be connected. We should be communicating. In fact, earlier in our scripture reading, before we got to verse 6, Paul talks about a couple other churches, and he says how blessed he is to have them in connection. We, as Christ followers, are meant to be rooted and connected together, just as the roots of a tree communicate with each other. The second metaphor that he uses is built up. This is obviously an architectural thing, right? Now, this is something that I, as a preacher, I know many other preachers struggle with this, this concept. It's a metaphor that I've used in the past of the foundation versus the walls. When it comes to writing my sermons, when it comes to, to what I'm going to teach on, I could keep it foundational. I could keep it basic. I could talk about sin. I could talk about forgiveness. Uh, we all have fallen short, but it's okay because we are forgiven, not by anything that we've done, but by what Jesus did for us. Pretty foundational, right? And if you've been going to church for more than a month, you've heard it four times now, right? But by keeping it foundational, picture the foundation of a house, the wider that foundation, the more people can fit on it. The more welcoming that is. There is no, nothing to climb over. There is no price of entry. You're, you're welcome there. And so you want to build that foundation as wide as possible so that you can affect and provide safety for more. 
but a foundation doesn't make a house. So eventually you have to start building walls. Eventually you have to start going up and creating depth. You have to start teaching deeper and deeper things. The trouble is, as a preacher, if I get up here and I start preaching on homilagumina and antilegomena, which are real things, they're not words from the Muppets, I promise. If I start preaching on that, you're going to be like, I, maybe like 3% of you will be like, okay, yeah, I, I, I'm tracking along. But the rest of you will be like, I don't know what he's talking about. And especially if you're a new Christian, you're going, what is, what is this? I, I don't belong here. And so as you start to build those walls up, you have to recognize that there's a possibility that you're excluding people or that you've created a higher price of entry, a more difficult obstacle, which then you rely on those people who are already inside to teach, right? The thing about a structure with walls and a roof, a structure that has been, as it says in scripture, built up, is it provides safety. It provides a home. It provides comfort and security, especially in biblical times where there'd be robbers and thieves and animals. There'd be people who are looking to, to hurt them. There'd be a natural weather events, and you want to have that structure around you, that dwelling where you can hide, you can be safe, you can be secure. See, with the, the struggle of the foundation to the structure, it's more evident perhaps in youth ministry than any other ministry. Because at what age do you go beyond a David and Mark? At what age do you go beyond those foundational Bible stories and start talking about the real things that these young people are going to be dealing with? When do you start talking about, about mental health and depression and anxiety and self-harm? When do you start talking about hot-button issues like, like sexuality and gender identity and all these different things that they're going to be dealing with? And like some of you nervous. The reality is that's how we lose youth ministry. That's how we lose young people is we keep it on the foundation level. And then at some point, they're going to hit a storm. At some point, the, the waters of this world are going to wash over them and they're going to be swept away. That's why we lose so many young people when they go off to college. Asking them questions that they'd never heard before. That's why built the faith, to be built up in Christ. Go to that safe because I have built this own two hands with the help of Christ himself. Now, the third metaphor, perhaps you missed, because uh, part of it's the translation, but it says that we are established in the faith, or sometimes firm in the faith. This one is particularly interesting right now because it's a legal term. Something that is firm or established legally is something that is settled, something that's not open for debate. And this is pertinent right now because the Supreme Court has gone and looked at some things that some people thought were firm and settled, and they said, no, we have to relook at this. But for us, when it comes to this verdict, when it comes to this legal case, it is firm, it is settled, it is done. The verdict has been issued for you, for me, for us. And the verdict is guilty. And I know you're thinking, whoa, 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 hold on, I thought it would be not guilty, right? Isn't that the whole message of the church? No, 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 it's guilty. It's just that Christ has paid the debt. Christ paid the fine, and now the case is closed. Now it's taken care of. Now it can't be redressed. It is over and done with because Christ paid your fine. 
And so with that idea that it is case closed, that my sin is already paid for, that sets us free to live our lives in a firm way. That sets us free to be rooted in Christ, roots going deep into the ground so that as we sway, as we experience the difficulties and the changes in this world, we can stay firm in the foundation of a changeless Christ, a changeless God. We can know that as the storms rage on our walls, they are built strong because they're built upon the foundations of the almighty, all-powerful God. And we can know that nobody can tell us that we are not worthy because this case has been settled. So why do these matter? Why do these metaphors, why does the Apostle Paul and Timothy writing them down, why do they lead off with this as we get into this section? Well, because he gets into some of the struggles that the Church of Colossae is dealing with. See, they're really being pulled in different directions because they were in a Greek region, but they were also full of Jewish people, right? And as Christians, they had those who were Greek and those who were Jewish, and they were asking, which tradition should we follow? That's why you see the Greek, and it, it's called empty philosophy. It, they're so focused on, on contemplating things. They're so focused on, on trying to find this, this absolute idea out there that they have lost sight of the truth of Christ. Then you have the other side, which is the Jewish side, where they're saying, well, you have to follow these rules that we've always followed. You have to look like this and act like this, just like we always have. That's why when it talks about circumcision, it's actually essentially an external expression of an internal faith, right? And so they're kind of this, they're wrestling with this idea of, okay, we're Gentiles and we're becoming followers of this Jesus who was Jewish, so do we need to convert to Judaism before we can become Christian? Do we need to follow the same laws that the Jewish people have, including the ones that the, that the Pharisees and the scribes have made up over the years? Or do we just follow Jesus? See, they're being pulled in these two tensions just like we are. Because on one side, you have uh, people in this world who would say, no, 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 everything's fine. Everything's acceptable. You have to be kind and accepting to everybody. There is no sense of right or wrong. And you're going, well, this doesn't make sense to me. There, there has to be some level of morality. There has to be some level of right and wrong. You can't just go whichever way the wind blows. This is called syncretism, trying to synchronize with the society around you. Uh, so you have this side, but then you have this side over here that is very much driven by morals, or so they think. Oftentimes it's man-made morals and they say, well, okay, that's wrong, but the way you should live is this way and you should look this way and you should talk this way and you should dress this way and you should vote this way and you should sing this way. And suddenly you get into that Jewish idea of being all about the law and not about the gospel and that you have to, to follow the right thing and support the right thing and have the right flag and have the right hat. And over here, they're saying, no, you need to have this flag. And there's all this combating, and the church stands in the middle going, guys, guys, we are rooted in an unchanging God. We can sway with the breeze, but at the end of the day, we have a foundation in God. It'd be really easy for me to get up here and preach, because I, I know when it comes to this spectrum where the vast majority of us probably would fall. And I could get up here and say exactly what it is that you want me to say. 
I could give an impassioned speech and, and give a, a whole sermon on confirmation bias and be slamming the podium and you guys would get all your goosebumps and be clapping and amen, amen. And I know that there are preachers that do that, that have no problem manipulating your emotions to just tell you exactly what you want to hear. But me, I'm bound to the truth. And it's going to be difficult. And, and I'm not going to sway one way or the other, but the truth the truth is where we are anchored. The truth is where we find God. The truth is where we see beyond the shadow of this world. The struggle that we encounter is the world is pulling us this way or that way, trying to tell us to accept everybody or accept only you. And next thing you know, you have to be following Jesus. Maybe if we spent less time reading newspapers and blog posts and more time reading the Bible, we'd be better off. We are rooted in truth. We are built up in the gospel that we are set free and we are forgiven. We have been established as children of God. So if it's neither this side nor this side, what is it? Well, later on, verse 14, it says that, that he cancels the record of debt. That's how our translation says it, which is a terrible translation, by the way. It actually talks about that he has erased the handwriting. See, the, the custom, again, going back to custom of the time, was when you were placed in prison or when you were condemned, they would write your charge, what you did wrong, and then they would write the debt that you had to pay, whether that be a certain number of years, a certain amount of money, whatever, and they would hang that on your jail cell. And if you, it was a capital crime where you were set to be put to death, they would hang it on the method of execution. Kind of like how Jesus had I-N-R-I hanging on his cross. Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. See, that was his charge. And the debt, well, it was right there. It was the cross. He clearly, the debt to be paid was that he was going to be killed. It says that Jesus takes that handwritten note of debt for us. The thing that should be our identity. That's all they're known by at that point. And when you're a criminal, you are known by that placard that says, this is what I did and this is what I owe. And Jesus erases it. And he nails it to the cross and says, this is gone, this is done, this is taken care of, this debt has been paid. And you are set free. We are given a new identity that doesn't say the condemned, doesn't say the sinner, doesn't say the one who did wrong, and they'll never earn their way out of this. No, we are given a new identity that says you are beloved, and you are given freedom and grace in the gospel. So, my brothers and sisters in Christ, as you go out and encounter the storms of this world, remember, this is just a shadow of what it is yet to come. One day we'll, be get, we'll get to be reunited with all those who have gone before us. we reunited in paradise. Not because of anything that we've done, but because of what he did for us. I pray that as you encounter those storms, as you encounter the darkness of this broken world, that you can remain rooted, that those roots can dig deep into the foundations of this very earth that God himself created. That you can be built up, not by your own lies, not by the lies of the world, because my friends, here's the thing, you have been lied to. The world lies to you constantly, and probably not in the way that, that your side is telling you that you're lied to. You're constantly fed poison and told that it's medicine, when not in the way that your side is telling you that you're fed poison and told it's medicine. We have the truth of a God who knows you and who loves you, 
so much that he was willing to enter into this, this, and offer himself as a sacrifice to erase your charge and give you a new identity as a beloved child of God. May that be who we are. May that be our root. May that be what builds us up. May that be what is established in who we are. Beloved children of God. Amen.